So have you answered that question yet? If you don't know what we're talking about because you're a guest today or you weren't here last Sunday, you can stop by the information table in the lobby and you'll find a couple of things. One is a uh, what looks like a bookmark, if you will. There's 30 days of Bible reading and prayer over Hoosier One. And then there are cards out there where you can write someone's name, the one person that the Holy Spirit identifies in your life that uh, best you can tell they don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. And you're going to pray for them and you're going to share with them and you're going to weep over them. You're going to care for them. How many of you kind of feel overwhelmed at the vastness of the lostness in the world? Well, this initiative is that we would bring that all the way down and focus on the one. There's a blue sheet of paper out there uh, that explains uh, this campaign. And so if you need any more information, stop by in the lobby. This is not just for a week or two. We have some other plans as we introduce this over the next few weeks. And uh, we're going to keep this right in front of our church so that God, through his grace and mercy, would keep the evangelism fires burning in our heart, that we would care about the people who aren't sitting in these chairs today, that we would care about those out there that need Christ. And so I'm excited about uh, this Who's Your One direction that we're going. I got to be honest with you, I'm also excited today that football season is almost here. Now, unless some of you would say, Pastor, now, come on now, let's don't talk about ball and so forth. I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul, in two different letters, spent time making sports analogies, okay? So the greatest church planner and missionary in the Bible was also a sports fan. I played sports growing up, played sports in college, a coach for a few years, and I heard this several years ago, there's really four types of of players on a team. The first player is the player uh, who has the ball, but they shouldn't have the ball in their hand. (laughs) Then there's those who don't have the ball in their hand, and they really should have the ball in their hand. There are those who have the ball, but don't want the ball. I remember my dad used to joke, he played uh, football in in high school and stuff, and he told me the joke, you know, the team's on the field and the crowd is chanting, give the ball to Bobby, give the ball to Bobby, give the ball to Bobby. And finally, one of the linemen got sick of hearing it and he raised up and he said, Bobby doesn't want the ball. In other words, he's had it too much already. He's been getting pounded on. And then the fourth player on the team is the person who wants the ball and they should have the ball in their hands. And the reason for that is, is that's the teammate that is productive. That's the teammate that makes things happen. Hear me today, uh, we don't have the football or the basketball, the baseball in our hands, but let me tell you what we do have in our hands. We are on Team Jesus, and we have the gospel of Jesus Christ as believers in our hands. And because of that, we have been entrusted with the stewardship of the gospel. If you have been saved and you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, let me remind you that you have the greatest news that someone would ever hear. And that is Jesus saves. Oh, that's a real excited amen. I said, you have the greatest news that Jesus saves. How many of you believe today that Jesus is still saving sinners? 
that Jesus loves people, that Jesus cares about people, that he wants them to hear the message of hope and eternal life. Now, how many of you believe that that message is spread and shared from us? We have the gospel in our hands. And can I be honest with you? We want it that way. The reason we want it that way is because we have the truth. I'm 100% convinced I have the truth. It's not because I'm smart or I'm educated or I went to seminary. It's because the Holy Spirit revealed to me when I was 13 years old that Jesus Christ is Lord, that I need him and every other person needs him as well. Open your Bible to John chapter 15, and I want to spend a few minutes with you in this text as we look at this subject today of being a productive Christian, being a productive Christian, seeing fruit being born in our lives as we are faithful to live out the gospel. Now, if I could give you just a little bit of context before we jump into verses 1 through 11, you would know if you jump back to 13 and start moving forward that Jesus has been in the upper room with his disciples doing what we just finished doing, gathering around the table. Remember, he institutes the, the Lord's Supper there and he tells them, do this often in remembrance of me. If you look at 13, 14, and 15, you notice a couple things. First of all, Jesus really upsets the disciples because he says to them, one of you is going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. And then I need to tell you that very soon I'm going to leave you and I'm going to ascend back to the Father. Now, how many of you know that troubled the disciples? When he said, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't know who it was. The Bible records for us. Their response was, Lord, is it me? T tell me, is it me? Am I going to do that? Apparently, there was no clear evidence that Judas was the one. Apparently, there was not this you know, mumbling and rumbling among the disciples. Hey, we think it's Judas. No, they wondered if it was them. And so you come to John 14 and verse 1, a, a passage that is used a lot at memorial services and funerals where Jesus says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You want to know why Jesus said that? Because they were troubled, okay? He was not saying the Christian life is, absence, uh, is absent of fear and anxiety. No, they were troubled. Let me go a step further. Uh, sometimes when I preach this passage in uh, memorial services, I'll point out in the scripture there were three times where the scripture says Jesus was troubled in his spirit. But it says, let not your heart be troubled because of what? You believe in God. You know that God is in control. And there are a lot of question marks, a lot of answers that you want. But what you need to do is not focus on that. You need to focus on God and your relationship with him. So you walk through chapter 14, and now we arrive at chapter 15, where Jesus makes an interesting statement. He says the very first phrase of chapter 15, verse number one, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Now, you really ought to kind of circle those first two words of the verse. Before we would hasten on and talk about ourselves and the importance of being a productive Christian. We need to pause for just a minute and not miss the nature of Christ in John 15, 1 through 11. 
Do you remember back in the Old Testament when God visits Moses and calls Moses? A question that Moses asked him, he said, God, who, who are you, right? I don't know who you are. And what did God say to him? Moses, I am. When Moses was given the direction to go stand in front of Pharaoh and say, hey, you need to let God's people go. Moses said, God, when I get there, I'm not a, I'm not a good speaker. Okay, I'm not eloquent in my speech. When I get there, who am I supposed to tell him sent me? What did God say? Moses, you tell him, I am that I am sent you. That's very important when you come to the book of John. Why? Because Jesus did a lot of things that ticked the religious leaders off. But nothing ticked them off any more than Jesus professing that he is God. So his Jewish audience, when they heard him say, I am the true vine, they were hearing him say, I am God. My father and I are one. We see the deity of Jesus Christ. So there are seven times in the book of John where Jesus makes I am statements. You've read them, right? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. How many of you have read Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now the final one here in chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, we don't have a lot of time to get into a study of, of this a theme of the vine uh, in the Bible. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to do that next week in our, in our connect groups as you unpack some verses from the Old Testament that, that talk about the vine and some in the new. But I want to simplify it for you scripturally and giving it to you this way, all right? There's the past vine, there's the future vine, and then there's the present vine, Okay. When you're reading through the Old Testament, the past vine is the nation of Israel. You'll see them referred to as the vine of God or the vine of Israel. And obviously, Israel had God's blessings and its best when they were obedient to God, right? And so they were productive as a nation when they stayed obedient to him. In the book of Revelation, you find the phrase, the vine of the earth. What does that mean? Well, that is the end times when the vine of the earth will be cut off. It will receive judgment and be burned up, which is a picture of all of the lost Gentiles who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So you got the past vine, the future vine. What is the present vine? The present vine is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You see it here in John chapter 15. Now, when you see the vineyard narratives in the Bible, this is very important. The Bible typically will depict a group of people, whether it's Israel or uh, Bible time disciples or us today, it will typically depict a group of people who are being less productive than God intended for them to be. Now, think about that for just a moment. Could it be possible, I'm not judging you and I'm not pointing my finger at you, but let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit ask you this question. 
Is it possible that you are being less productive in your Christian life than God intended for you to be? Is it possible that God wants to bear more fruit in your life? That there's fruit not being born. There's fruit, more fruit, and greater fruit. Is it possible that God is God desires to bear more fruit in your life? But the text is going to show us maybe that we're not remaining and abiding in Christ like we should in order to see that fruit. Let's jump into the text. All right, enough of that introduction. In chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, if you're following the outline, when it comes to being a productive Christian, I want to remind you in verses 1 and 2 of our need for Christ. Our need for Christ. Look at it. Jesus said, I'm the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now let's stop right there at the beginning of verse number two and focus on his statement, every branch, say those next two words with me, Come on, say it again. Every branch, every branch in me. Notice that there is a connection with Christ. Christ in me, Christ in my life, and me in Christ. Notice that he is the vine, the father is the vine dresser, or he is the overseer of the vineyard, And then from the vine, there are branches that are growing. Those branches represent the disciples of Jesus that are attached to him. Now, we're talking about evangelism and who's your one and who are you going to witness to and who are you going to give a track to and who are you going to pray over. And and man, that's so important. But let's start with first things first. The first thing is, You have to realize your need for Christ, your need for Christ. Before you will ever be burdened over someone else and their need for Christ, we have to first understand and be touched day by day over our need for Christ. Do you fully understand today how much you need him Do you understand how much you need Christ every day? Now watch, I needed Christ when I was 13 years old. I came to a moment where I understood the gospel that I was a sinner, that I needed to acknowledge that and believe on Christ and confess my sin. I realized I needed him, but trust me, at 47 years of age, I so much greater understand today my need for Christ. I need him every day. Gang, I'm a train wreck. And so are you. We're flesh tanks. We got cruddy hearts. Our, our, our flesh doesn't lead us to always do the right thing. Our flesh doesn't lead us to witness and evangelize. No, our flesh leads us to be quiet and not say anything. So, so we got to start with, we've got to know, if we're going to be productive in the Christian life, we've got to know how desperately we need Christ. I love, 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 love Charles Spurgeon's statement. Look at it on the screen. I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. Isn't that good? I have a need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. Oh, how much I need him. 
Now, a minute ago, I talked about context, and I went back to 13, 14, and 15, and you were thinking, Tim, if you wouldn't have spent that five minutes, your sermon would have been five minutes shorter and we could have gotten out of here, right? The reason I shared that context, it is so important for John chapter 15, because I'm going to tell you what happens too often. People try or they attempt to build doctrine in the scriptures without getting the context of what's going on. Now, who was Jesus speaking to in 13, 14, and 15? He's speaking to his disciples, right? So he's speaking to his 12. They don't know who is going to betray. They don't know who is going to deny the Lord. And so they're trying to process this in their mind. And Jesus is giving this imagery as they leave the upper room. Some say it's possible that when they left the upper room, they came by the temple and Jesus might have even stopped and pointed at the door of the temple where there would have been a vine, uh, the picture of grapes, productivity over the door of the temple, that he might have stopped and taught this lesson there. But where is Jesus going? He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane where there he's going to pray and he's going to sweat drops of blood. He's going to agonize over his death on the cross. When he finishes up his prayer time, what happens? Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus with 30 pieces of silver. Judas brings that religious posse and he walks up. And he kisses Jesus on the cheek, identifying him so that they could arrest him and take him away and ultimately crucify him on the cross. How many through the years have been reading your Bible or you've been in church or whatever? And, and Judas is, the story of Judas just makes you scratch your head. I mean, come on. The first question is, I want to ask Jesus, when I get to heaven, why in the world did you choose him? Of course, we know the sovereign plan of God. There's a lot. I could preach a sermon on Judas about all the different aspects of Judas. And people ask, Pastor Tim, do you think Judas was saved? Is Judas in heaven? Or, or, or no, no, I do not believe Judas is in heaven. I believe that Judas was around Christ. He was connected to Christ as being chose as a disciple, but his heart had not been turned to Christ. You say, Tim, why is that so important? Well, if you look at verse number two, and then again in verse number 6, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ take this passage and, and read into it, I believe, with presuppositions that verse 2 and verse number 6 would say that a Christian can lose their salvation because every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. You look at verse number 6, those who do not abide in me, they are thrown away like branches and they wither. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So some scholars and writers would say, see, there it is. You can be cast out of the family of God. You can lose your salvation. I wish I had a lot of time to talk about this, except to say that when you read this passage in its context, Jesus is painting the picture for the disciples of Judas Iscariot. Let me take it a step further. Are the Jewish people connected to Christ? Yes, because Jesus was born in the lineage of David. Jesus was born to a Jewish family, right? Jesus was a Jew, okay? And so God loved them so much, he chose them. 
He sent them Jesus. Jesus is connected to them. Jesus is born in the nation of Israel. He sends them the Messiah, not Jordan or Syria or America, but Israel. But what did the Jewish people, what have the Jewish people primarily done? What have they done? They've rejected Christ as the Messiah, right? You remember Paul when he was writing over there in the book of Galatians, I believe it's chapter 5, he makes an interesting uh, statement. He says, you have fallen from grace. Again, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ take a passage like that and say, oh, see there, there's somebody who lost their salvation. And I would just say if you would flip back about five or six pages, you'll get the teaching of Christ that you need when it comes to the eternal security of the believer. Because Jesus said, my father gives them to me and I place them in the palm of my hand and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. That's the beautiful picture of, of the security of the believer. And so let me give you one more quick tidbit here in verse number six. I was in Israel and I was speaking with a scholar and he said to me, just out of the wild blue, he, he, he said to me, he said, hey, I want to tell you something. You... You American preachers preach John chapter 15 wrong. That'll bless you, won't it? He said, let me tell you about verse number six. And I've been researching this and looking at this, and I actually found that James, James Montgomery Boyce wrote a, uh, wrote a piece on this, and it's so interesting. When you look at this matter of being cut off or thrown away in verse number six, there's actually four different meanings to the word that is used there. And you know what? Uh, you want to know what one of those meanings is? The scholar says to me, the picture there is, is of the vine that is fallen down on the ground. And the farmer goes over to that vine and he sees some dead limbs on that vine. But what he does is he doesn't just cut it off. But what he does is he takes a rock and he puts it under it and he props it up so that that vine can continue to grow. He gets the algae and the deadness off of it. And he lifts it up and props it up so that that branch can continue to grow. I'm going to tell you something. That's a powerful analogy right there. I'm going to tell you something. Christ doesn't cut me off and kick me out of the family. You know what he does? He lifts me up. Verse 3, he cleans me up. You know why? How many of you really believe that Christ wants me to grow? That Christ wants you to grow? That Christ wants you to bear fruit. He's not going to cut you off and kick you out of the family. What does he do though? Watch. For people like Judas Iscariot who are in and around the gospel and they hear the gospel, but they reject the gospel. The Bible says judgment and condemnation is in their future. Those that fall from grace. So I hope today you understand your need for Christ. You understand how bad you need Christ. And if you are in Christ, verse 2, I'm moving quickly. Verse 2 says, if you are in Christ, you, you are a dead man raised to life. You have the life of Jesus living in you. And on occasion, because there's more things that God wants to do in you and through you, you go through times of pruning. Remember this, a branch is only pruned if it's alive, a dead branch is not pruned. A branch that is alive is pruned. How many of you say, Pastor Tim, I'll testify, I've been pruned by the Word of God? <laughs> Come on. 
All you got to do is read your Bible and it'll trim you up really quick, right? Sometimes we're pruned by maybe brothers and sisters in Christ who speak a word of admonition, who maybe we allow them to speak into our blind spot. Sometimes we're pruned when something that we hold dear, we love more than we should, is taken is taking away from us. Why do those things happen in our life? I'll tell you why. Because we need Christ. We need Christ in our life. We need his pruning so that we can bear more fruit. Verses 3 through 7. Number 2, I want you to see the work of Christ. Let me read it. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Notice this word in verse 4, abide. Remain is used 11 times here in the text. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in, him, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Say this next phrase with me out loud. For apart from me, say it again, for apart from me, nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burn. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I hope you can testify today that you know it's clear to you that Christ is at work in your life. That Christ is shaping you and molding you. That you are in the word. That you are keeping short accounts with him by confessing our sin and being right with him that you are abiding in christ you're remaining in christ tim what does that really look like i love what ray steadman said he said when our lord says abide in me he's talking about the will he's talking about the choices the decisions that we make and we must decide to do things which expose ourselves to him and we keep ourselves in contact with him. If you are remaining in Christ and abiding in Christ today, it's because you're choosing to do that. How many of you know at times in your life you have been attached too much to the things of this world? And how many of you will confess today it was a choice of your own volition and your own will? I chose to go that way. I chose to do that. I chose to respond that way. The same is true in your relationship with Christ. If you're abiding in him and remaining in him, you choose to do that. And if you want to be a productive Christian in your life, then you know the only way that's going to happen is if you remain in him. Because Jesus made it very clear. Apart from me, you will do nothing. There's not a person in this room that would say, you know, I just want to be a nothing Christian. <laughs> None of us would say that. I hope you would say, I want to be productive. You're productive by responding to the work of Christ in your life. That includes your intake of what he has said to us in his word. And verse number seven shows us it includes 
a time of prayer where we are seeking for his will to be done in our life. Now listen to me. We've got health, wealth, and prosperity preachers in verse number seven that twist that and misapply it. That if you're a Christian, I saw a tweet this week, maybe you want to jump through the screen. You know, if you, love, if you follow Christ, he wants you to be wealthy and healthy and all this other stuff. Verse number seven does not mean that God is our vending machine in the sky, that he is our cosmic genie who we tell what, what he's going to give us and what he's going to do for us. No, what is the key phrase? The will of the Lord. The will of the Lord would be done in our life. We ask Him. We abide in Him. We're praying to Him. And through that, we see Christ at work in our lives. Let me hasten on with my last point. That'll make most of you sit up and listen better when I said last point. Our need for Christ, the work of Christ, and then in verses 8 through 11, the fruit that we see in our life from Christ. The fruit. Now, we don't have time for this today. But throughout the Bible, the word fruit is used as a simile or a metaphor in several different ways for Christians. Romans chapter 1, verse number 13, the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Paul is saying, I'm seeing the fruit of coming to you and you are turning to Christ. At the end of Romans uh, chapter 15, he talks about the fruit of, that is born because of our generosity. Do you understand today that when you gave in the offering, that is a part of the Christian life and fruit bearing? That fruit is going to be born from that. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 talks about the fruit, the fruit that is born in our life that is produced by the praise that comes from our lips, that we produce fruit in the kingdom by giving glory and praise and honor to the Lord And I read from D.A. Carson the other day his statement about fruit when he said, this fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine. Who is the vine? Come on, church, who is the vine? Jesus. It's our dependence on Jesus, driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life and the product of his witness what is our faithfulness to christ knowing our need for christ responding choosing to respond to christ's work in our life what does it produce in this text in verse number eight notice it's through this jesus said that my father is glorified christian do you really today seek in your heart to bring glory to god Do you want to glorify God in your actions, your attitudes, your obedience? Do you really want to give him glory? Jesus said, this is how he's glorified. Here it is. You ready? That you bear much fruit and you prove to be my disciples. Now look at me. This is a strong statement from Jesus that we don't need to just run past. Because I think sometimes in church life and in ministry that we kind of approach things like this. Hey, everybody, God sent me here today to tell you Jesus is begging you to do something. Jesus is begging you to get out of the stands and get in the game. That Jesus needs your help. He's desperate. 
He's so desperate, he signed you up. (laughs) We approach it the wrong way. Jesus said the way we prove that we really are a disciple, we say we're Christians, we say we're a disciple of Christ. The way we prove that is that we are self-motivated by Christ in me, the hope of glory. We're self-motivated by the Holy Spirit's work in our life. We're self-motivated by the pruning of the Word. The gospel is active in my life. And Jesus said, you prove that you are a disciple by bearing fruit. Now, now please hear me today. If you're here and you go, well, Pastor, you know, I've been saved for 25 years, but there's not much fruit to show for it. If, if that's kind of how you feel, then I'd get along and I'd pray and I'd seek the Lord and I'd, I'd ask some deep questions in my soul. Because Jesus makes it very clear. If you are his disciple and you are attached to him and you're remaining in him and he's active in your life, you're not going to have bare vines. You are going to see fruit. Did, did Jesus say that? Am I, am I right or wrong? We're bearing fruit. And fruit bearing is very important to us. So the fruit that's born is our lives are bringing glory to God. Verses 9 and 10, look at it quickly. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The fruit that the gospel and being attached to the vine produces, it produces loving people. I really believe there's something that's hurt us as a church in the Christian community is that we've got people that are hateful and they're mad all the time. And we've just kind of skipped over that verse that, that says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Can I say that again? Your wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. Yelling at people, presenting the gospel in a, in a bombastic, angry manner, condemning people to hell, and you're just, and you're just straight emotional anger, that is not producing the righteousness of God. The world needs to be infused today, not with screamers and yellers, but with people who are filled with the love of Christ. Did Jesus say that? If you're abiding in me and you're close to me and you're remaining in me, then you are going to abide in my love. You're going to abide in the love of the Father. And something very closely tied to that in verse number 11, if you are filled with love, verse 11, Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of you have read Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 about the fruit of the Spirit? Y'all read that? I think there's nine of them there. That's another place that talks about fruit. But here Jesus, listen, I'm almost done. Here Jesus just gets right to the point. He said, listen to me. You're going to see a lot of things. You're going to experience a lot of things. You're fixing to experience Judas, and he's going to be like those dead branches, those, those branches with disease and algae, and he's going to be stripped away from the group. And he's going to experience eternal judgment and damnation. And every Jew, the gospel came first to the Jew, right? To the Jew first. And every Jewish person that 
that, man, I bless them. They're, they're connected to the Messiah. Here's the Messiah, and they're going to reject him. Then they're not going to be grafted into the body of Christ. They're not going to be grafted into the vine just because they're Jewish. They're going to be grafted because they believe and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the same is true of us today. And once you're grafted, you know how much you need Christ. You know about the work of Christ, and then you know the fruit that Christ produces in your life. Now, let's get honest for just a minute. How many of you have some fears, some concerns, things that you wrestle with when it comes to sharing your faith? Okay. Only three of us. That's awesome. You've got some things that you wrestle with. For, for example, Pastor, what do I do? I I've shared the gospel with 50 people and not a one of them has prayed and received Christ. What am I supposed to do? Share it with 50 more. Because our job is obedience. Our job is not numbers. The results are in God's hands. What he wants us to do is be obedient. And so we, we think, man, I gotta, I gotta try harder. Or, or oh, you know, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not doing a good job with my presentation. Well, you might need to work on that a little bit. But here's what I've found: God does a whole lot more with a mess than He does with nothing, right? <laughs> think about that. I was reading a study the other day from an agricultural school out in Iowa, and they, they studied a one-acre plot that produced a hundred bushels of corn, right? One acre, a hundred bushels of corn. And they really dug into this research to find out what was needed for that acre to maximize its potential and produce a hundred bushels. And so they wrote up this big long report and this is the summary. In order for that to be productive, it needs 400 or 4 million pounds of water. 6,800 pounds of oxygen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, and a few other things. That's in addition to the right amount of rain, the right amount of sunshine, everything coming together to produce a hundred bushel of corn. At the end of their research, this is what they concluded. This is interesting. In spite of the hours upon hours upon hours, staying up late, getting up early, all the investment that the farmer puts into that one acre, they concluded that only 5% of that produce can actually be attributed to the efforts of the farmer. Now, isn't that interesting? In other words, 95% of that is kind of out of his hands. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't have to do the 5%. It's needed, but it's not really what produces the crop. It's not the most important part of the production of that crop. And when I read that, here's what I began to think. Hear me. In our relationship with God as one of his disciples, we do not have a 95-5 relationship. I can't produce anything. It's 100 to zero. 
Because God Almighty does the saving. The Holy Spirit is the one that opens the heart. The Holy Spirit's the one that opens up the mind. But you know what? I'm supposed to be like that farmer. And I'm to work, and I'm to toil, and I'm to go, and I'm to be faithful, and I'm to share. And if I don't see the harvest that I want, I need to keep going, I need to keep sharing, I need to keep spreading. Paul said in Corinthians, what is it? Some water, some give the increase, some get the harvest. The point is not us, the point is that God is at work. And he wants us to go out in his kingdom and sow the seed and then sit back and watch him do the work. Now I wonder, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have identified you're one, you're one, somebody that you're praying for? I hope that you'll do that. Write their name down on the card. We want to pray for them. There's a little slip box out in the, in the foyer. We've got resources to help you with and sharing the gospel, but I'm going to tell you the greatest thing you can do, the greatest thing you can do is go and tell someone what Christ has done in your life. Amen? Do you want to be a productive Christian? Do you? I hope you do. We've got to stay attached. We've got to remain and abide in Christ. Can we stand together?